Hi, this is Mary Ball, co-founder of Women in Business Book Club. And this is Lucy Hillier, co-founder of the Women in Business Book Club. Oh, you're, and you're listening, listening to, to the Sassholes. <laughs> Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with a edge. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Today, our guests are Mary Ball and Lucy Hillier, co-founders of the Women in Business Book Club, which is a diverse network of women who inspire one another through shared knowledge and experiences. But before we get to Mary and Lucy, we have a sponsor for the show, NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle your noodle, a brain map before the season starts, so you have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup now. Schedule an appointment at NeuroNoodle.com. KG. I wish Jamie was here. <laughs> yes, Pete. KG. Yes, Pete. Never buy Velcro on Amazon. It's a total ripoff. Leave <laughs> us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Got any shout outs, KG? I have some shout outs, of course. I want to uh, congratulate Dave Tuttle, formerly of ZipRecruiter, uh, for starting as a new position as Chief Revenue Officer at Origin. Congratulations, Mr. Tuttle. Uh, also want to congratulate Sean Denumbrum. Say that three times fast. Denumbrum for it's starting. Like after, it's like after my bad jokes. I know, Denumbrum. exactly. Denumbrum. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for starting as a new uh, new position as a reporting analyst at Sendoso. And uh, congratulations for Abe Davis, formerly of ZipRecruiter, for starting a new position as an account executive growth business at Salesforce, salesforce.com. They actually are still hiring and growing, Pete. So there you go. I, I can't believe that. I know. They hire. Hey, my our boys over at Pop Menu, Brendan Sweeney and Tony Roy, they're looking for an inside sales leader in Atlanta, guys. Reach out if interested. We'll put the link in the podcast notes. I would say that's the job of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Congrats, congrats, Tommy Callahan at Callahan Auto Parts. He closed the deal for 500,000 brake <laughs> pads. Congrats, Tommy. <laughs> now, KG, what, what is the relationship between you and Mary here? How did we get them on the show? Well, Mary is just one of my favorite individuals of all time. Uh you know, she started at ZipRecruiter. How long ago, Mary? At Zip? Five years in March. Five five years ago, and she came over from the. She's in our UK or was in our is in our UK office, and uh, and I just remember meeting her for the first time and just high energy, super coachable, and always willing to uh, to learn. You know, and Pete, you may you know remember like people that started at uh, at your company previously, and you know they 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 come meet you, they say they want to learn, and then they just sort of like you know go off into you know nothingness and they don't take any of your advice. And Mary was always so great about like she'd take my time, she'd come out and meet, and then uh, and we'd have calls, and then she would put stuff in place, you know, and that's just the definition of coachability. And I can work with a person like that all day long. And Mary uh, accelerated in her career at Zip from being an individual contributor. And then now she's leading the entire UK uh, office uh, in uh, of, of ZipRecruiter. And I'm just so, so proud of what she's, uh, what, what she's doing. So uh, wow. she's one, she's one of my favorites, Pete. What, what was the office uh, already open out there, Mary? Did you help open that up? 
Um, no, not really. KG, you made me so emotional with that intro. <laughs> um, so the office was started in the back end of 2017 and they had a couple of the sales guys. Uh, well, we had the, the original guy who started the UK business um, and then it just progressed and now it's turned into the wonderful beast that we know it. But there was like two, three people in the office. Yeah, so I was number three. They had yeah. two guys doing BD, and then they originally brought me on to start building out the account management departments and process and all that good stuff. Do they still just use recruiters out there in uh, England? Recruitment shops? No, I think they're a lot more diverse now, thankfully. Yeah. Um, okay. I kind of got I got into this industry um, working with Indeed, so I've only ever known programmatic. So to me, I mean, I remember I was in D, God. Oh, there we go, KG. <laughs> I, think, I think we had a glitch in the show. I'm putting a ticket in now to Zoom. Yes, please. That's, don't, don't mind me. But, uh, but yeah, when I first got into the industry, like that's all people were doing were buying slots. It was a very much a post and pray environment, whereas things have obviously developed massively since. Thank goodness. Then how did Lucy come into play? Great question. I don't even know how we met. Through mutual friends, but Lucy, so Lou and I have um, a shared circle of friends. And um, I think probably in the maybe 2019, we started spending more time together. We realized Mm -hmm. that we completely geeked out on the same things. So if we read a book that we really enjoyed, we'd share it. If one of us was doing a course, we'd share all the course material with the other person. And we just started speaking. Yeah, we started speaking more regularly. And and Lou is, I mean, Lou tells a great origin story for the two of us. But she was like, like, we used to just be at parties and the two of us would just be nerding out in the corner talking about like what had gone on, what we had learned, what sort of book we had, like, it really got Complete losers. pretty ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Complete losers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. The wallflowers. That's why we were both wear blonde, just in the hope that there would be something non-geeky about us. Well, well how, how about we back back up and, and like, you know, each of you give us your, you know, 30 second, uh, ba- you know, background. I'd love to hear about each of you. Lu- Lucy, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. And thank you both so much for having us on the show. Um, love your podcasts. I do love listening to this. Um, so where to start? I have kind of lived and worked in the US, South Africa, uh, London. And I've recently moved back to my hometown, which is a little country bumpkin place in um, in um, sort of the north of England. Um, and so I've been on working when I was about 16, I decided I didn't want to do uni, didn't want to carry on academically as much as I do geek out. I was so ready to just get out there. Um, my family were very much like that. So I've kind of grown in that way and just thought I want it, I'm ready. Um, so I joined a tech startup um, as a sales advisor and um, I was really lucky. It was being a startup environment. You have so much autonomy to make the role your own. Um, And alongside the CEO, I spearheaded the opening of the US office and we were selling enterprise text messaging for Verizon. And this was kind of when that was all very new. No one kind of thought that was ever going to go anywhere. Um, And so that was, you know, the start of it, really. And then my career took a bit of a turn and I actually ended up um, as a production manager in television for um, eight or nine years, um, which I loved, but was dying to get back into the corporate um, tech life and I just missed that kind of buzz of an innovation 
Um, so like Mary, I now work in recruitment technology and I head up client adoption for the UK business. And Mary? Yeah, so um, in case you were confused, there is an accent. I'm not British or American. I am South African born and bred. Um, I was raised in a pretty pokey town back in South Africa and got pretty bored of that. Uh, similar to Lucy, had no desire to go to university, was never very academically strong, hadn't really learned much about myself, so I had no idea what I wanted to do, what I wanted to study. So committing three years to something I'd probably never do again seemed completely useless. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I moved to the UK, uh, worked in many, many, many jobs from being an assistant manager at Blockbuster, which is a great town, um, to telesales, um, to eventually moving more seriously into account management, customer relations, sales. Yeah, just started to really find my footing with tech and especially startups, because again, as Lou mentioned, it's that sort of that autonomy that you're allowed to get into the weeds, you're allowed to pan out, it's scrappy, it's, it's a very different environment to getting into a highly corporate environment where everything's a lot more rigid, it's more siloed, um, you can't really move around as much. So yeah, so as KG already gave me one of the best introductions, Pete, you need to give me a recording of that anyway. Oh, um, you'll get it. <laughs> going to be a voicemail on her phone now it really <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be on my out of office it's going to be my voicemail <laughs> um but yeah so I joined joined zip um in 2017 um and now lead the uk operation and yeah i love it now you're both in uh sales leadership why don't you guys just stay in sales and make money why deal with all the headaches you need to find a job that you can do both which yeah. <laughs> autonomy, Pete. It's about autonomy. Well, one at a time. Tell us why you got into leadership. There's, we have a lot of um, female uh, salespeople and sales managers that listen to the show and they want to move up. Uh, tell us your story. Maybe we can inspire them to do the same. Yeah. Lou, do you want to kick off? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I started as a sales advisor, so it was kind of we all know that the score, you're kind of very box ticking exercise to start with. You're trying to, you know, learn the ropes. And I loved it. I thrive on, you know, the, the buzz of sales quickly, you know, worked my way through a, a book of accounts and really found that I was harnessing like client relationships. I loved that when you're just kind of kicking back with someone, finding out what they need, what makes them tick. How can I help you? How can we make money together? Mm. Um, that's kind of the excitement for me. And I think, the more that I did, the the hungrier I became. So you're quite right. You want to stay where the money is and you, you, you know, you want to stay in sales and just keep that ticking in. But the more you do it, I think your drive just gets bigger and bigger and you end up just wanting more. And hmm. I had such great leaders. I mean, Mary has spoke so highly of you, KG, and I had a mentor very similar to, um, to yourself that's worked I've worked with for for so long and we're still great friends now we go out for dinner and still you know shoot the breeze and talk about what we're doing and I kind of wanted to become that because I felt so strongly about everything that I'd learned from him that mm. you've got to pass it on so I just wanted to keep growing and just see you know take it to the next level and, and pass on everything I'd learned really so that's why I ended up moving more into leadership I guess yeah I had a bit of a weird relationship with sales because um I <laughs> Like I say, I've always been a very, very much a people person. 
um, and loved relationships, loved forging those relationships, loved working with clients who had dark tenure with the business. And I was at a company, oh, I, I don't know, a while ago, maybe eight years ago. And I was heading up the sale, uh, the account management team. And my then senior director said, we want you to take on the sales team as well. Um, which scared the bejesus out of me because <laughs> in my mind, they were two completely different things. And I know KG, you and I have even had this conversation as recently as sort of three, four years ago when things were changing at Zip and there was a lot of restructure. Um, and I think initially there was such a sort of trigger around the word sales that, you know, in my mind, it's still a bit of a, still a bit of a bloke sport. It's a man's game. It's all, you know, rough and tumble. Mm. Um, and then as I started getting more experience within the sales remit and I started working with more polished leaders, I started to realize that there was a lot of finesse required um, within managing clients. And in, whether you're sales or account management, essentially you should be doing the same thing. It's just the difference mm -hmm. is going to be the client's tenure. Mm -hmm. well, that's kind of how I got into it. So interesting. So you know, a, a couple of comments, actually. I, I'm noticing your own self-talk. You were, you, you were sort of convincing yourself that sales, like new business sales, is like mm. a, it's a bloke's game. It's a man's game. That was your own self-talk that was getting in, your, you know, getting in your way, which was interesting. But, but I would also say that there, you know, and Pete, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Um, Lucy and Mary, you both are talking about you know, like leadership as like a vocation. It's like a calling. It's, it's like something you feel inside. Like you have to... You have to get like Lucy, you're talking about sort of giving back and, and paying right. it forward in a, in a way, you know, Pete, do you feel like, you know, feel like leadership was a, was a calling and a vocation for you? I mean, you could have sold, you could have just stayed on the phones. Right. But leadership, a vocation for you, Pete. You like to teach, you know, it's like, why do people go, be mm -hmm. teachers? You know, it's not the most exactly. high, high, highest paying uh, profession, but if you like to teach, and you can mix it in with getting money. I think sales leadership is is a great thing. Now, That's depending right. on w which level that you're in, I mean, if you're getting on the entry level side, that could be a bit of a headache. Some people love it. Some people like to have clay that's not been marred. Uh, some people want to have, you know, experienced people. But either way, uh, teaching. So I think uh, sales leadership accomplishes both is, is my, my two cents. It's funny you say that because my granddad used to say to me, I think you should be a teacher because I loved reading books and I loved talking and hearing the sound of my own voice. And I said, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. I want to make more money than that. So yeah. it's exactly what you're saying. It just kind of marries the two together. We had Lauren Bailey on the show uh, a month or so ago, and she was you know, awesome. And we talked about women in leadership. Why don't more amazing women like you two get into leadership? What is the deal? This is probably pretty controversial to say, um, but the one thing that really annoyed me uh, is that when I, apart from one amazing mentor who I found, which was obviously Veronica Kutz, who is incredible. KG, you know her really well as well. I really struggled to find female mentors in the sales space. And it's still now something that I'm really searching for. A lot of the, the women who I've met I'm now starting to get into more open circles where there's a lot more knowledge sharing, but there's still definitely a feeling of either intimidation or scarcity with the people I've encountered previously, which really pisses me off because that needs to be tackled head on, right? Like, and, and Lou and I will get into that because that was kind of 
one of the core bowstrings to the Women in Business Book Club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think like women traditionally have always been kind of gently ushered towards the nurturing roles, right? Like HR, admin, all of that good stuff. And I think salespeople are generally seen as being loud and mouthy and ballish and, you know, all of, and, and those are all great qualities. But I think if you've not, re- if you've a, not naturally in that sort of stream of, of quality or personality, it's going to feel very, very foreign to you. And I don't think a lot of women embrace that where there's, there's a lot of freedom and there's a lot of empowerment when you actually do embrace that and you stop being scared of, to ask for things. That's when it's a real game changer. So I do think things are changing. I think women are starting to claim space. I think women are starting to be more vocal. Um, I think that there are a lot of men advocating uh, for women in leadership now, which is a huge, huge help. There's the strongest sort of lesson in that. And this is something that I'm really, really strong with my team and with the, the people we work with in the book club is like, fuck perfect. Women need to stop thinking they need to be perfect and they need to just try. Like, you don't need a filter on your life. Just do it. Don't worry about being perfect. It's more important to be brave. That's where you need to focus yourself. Lauren Bailey said nearly the exact same thing. I, I think really, she I'll tell you, we do this one thing in Girls Club. It's called Rise Up on Record. We get a bunch of our thought leaders to do it. I do one every month. And it's a confessional. So, yes, some of them have done it at like 3 o'clock in the morning in my bathroom. But it's the three Fs, right? And we ask women to record a fear a failure or a fuck up. And it's so refreshing to be like, oh, fuck this up. Oh, fuck this. I save them up now. And I like celebrate them in these confessionals. And it's everybody's favorite thing. They binge them over and over and over and over and over again. Because to, to watch women that you thought were perfect, whether it was because of LinkedIn or Facebook or the fabulous suit or, I mean, how many women role models do we have? Most of them have hair and makeup budgets on TV right? And they're a size two and they're a bitch. And, mm. and, and that's, that's not real. So getting real women to come in and share the three Fs has been people's favorite thing. And what we're trying to do is quash that perfectionism. Fs. Uh, do you have any, any criticism? Like, do you get any like females that are trying to like, you know, break the gr- glass ceiling and all this kind of stuff and go, no, now that takes them back because now they're showing this unprofessional side, you know, three in the morning, you know, to, like, do you, anybody giving any criticism about no, that? No, but some are better at it than others, Kev, right? There's been plenty of women I've asked who are thought leaders for us, uh, who, who act as role models, who I say, listen, the more vulnerable, the better, makeup is optional, get real, blah, 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 blah. And the best they can say is like, take care of your health. It's important. And we're like, thanks so much delete. Right. The ones where I've had people do it with their curlers in, I've had people crying. No, it's because it's real. I think she said the F word more times than you did, by the way, but, uh, but she, she said basically fuck perfect. And uh, Pete, you remember this? She referenced a study Mm -hmm. that the, the female applicant to a leadership job will only apply if she has 90% of the boxes checked or something like that. So guys and gals, here's a couple of things you can do to get more female applicants, okay? Number one, take a look at your job description. I know I did this. We still write them like we're in charge here. It's an employee's market, right? So knowing a woman won't apply unless she has everything checked, reduce the number of things. So it's not a wish list. It's a bare minimum requirements list. 
And if you can't get the people there to really narrow it down, just add a line that says, we don't, the perfect candidate may not have all of these. We strongly encourage you to apply. There's job training available. Like make it a softer landing, right? That's one of the very first things you can do. The second thing is I found again, I was guilty of this, right? Sales is a competitive sport. It's a confidence game. And so we write our job descriptions like that. If you're ready to come in and crush it and kill it and win it. And, and that freaks some women out. We're great at selling. I can cite 200 stats. Don't make me because I don't have them memorized about how women rise to the top. But very often they're doing that through relationship building and great communication skills and, you know, caring and organization and all those other things. And they are crushing quota, but they don't sign up to crush it. They sign up to care. They sign up to do well. They, right? And, and, and it's just, it doesn't attract them. But the male counterpart will be like, I have two out of 10. And, yeah. the, and the male counterpart will, will apply to those. No, I, you know, I couldn't agree more because I had a bit of a fuck that moment when I was at school. Um, when we were, you're having your meetings, deciding what you should do next and what courses should you take. So in the UK, it's GCSEs at that point you know what subjects do you want to do and I wanted to take business studies and the career counselor leader woman said oh I think you should do textiles I'm like yeah I mean I'm wow I'm pretty stylish I'll take that but (laughs) yeah it was just unreal and she was we the entire time was spent trying to convince me not to go into business studies which I did got distinction it was the highest grade I'd got out of anything and it was just, yeah, I couldn't, I, I had to take textiles anyway. She made me do it. And I also got, <laughs> the best one. I got an A star. So it was pretty good. I showed them that I could do both, but it was just, you know, the way that it was just programmed to automatically say, no, you don't want to do that. And then um, funnily enough, when, um, when I was in my first job, so I started by the time I was VP of sales in the U S for the text messaging company, um, I was, turning 20 so so young and I remember being in this boardroom with all guys just everyone in suits you know these are CEOs these are, you know I was right up yeah. there with them and one of the guys actually sort of went no um I'd like Tim who was our CEO to answer that and literally hushed me and wow. it was brilliant because my CEO said sorry guys I have absolutely no idea how to answer your question this lady does wow um, yeah Amazing. it was it was crazy so I just think yeah I, I couldn't agree more with Mary I think a lot of it is fear I think there's a pre- kind of a preconception that in sales you've you, if you're a woman I remember actually but the sales manager when I joined was a woman and she actually said you need to be careful not to come across as bossy or shrill and I thought well I will be those things if that's what we're going to need to get get shit done <laughs> so you know but and it was just again she was thinking we can't come across as that because as a woman you won't be looking ballsy and you know go get her you'll be looking bossy and shrill um so yeah I I just think it is because of some misconceptions and people just not kind of you know coming out of their comfort zone and just going for it but but it's not uh people not wanting to hire women right it's or or it could be I, I I don't know what it's like over there but it's 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 females unwilling to apply for the position because if there's 10 criteria, unless they meet all 10, they're not going to apply. Is that the yeah. big issue? 
yeah I think we stand in our own way I think we get in our own way sometimes and just don't realize just and it's like Mary says about you know making mistakes if I look back at all the mistakes I've made they're definitely the points that have massively changed things changed my career actually worked we've been beneficial they've made me grow I've learned new things but yeah I don't know about you Mary but I think we've spoke about it sometimes and it's definitely us getting you know women in general getting in our own way oh yeah I mean like some of the biggest shit shows that I've caused have caused me the biggest growth I think it all just comes down you just got to be bold just do it like if something scares you just start just try like what's the worst that could happen mm-hmm. I think like y- you just have to get out of your head and yeah. just go for it and like it's probably not going to matter in six months five years so, like, just do it just mm-hmm. go for it yeah, but, but but surrounding yourself with other people that you've seen take that leap, I think could be incredibly, you know, helpful. I, I, I'm going to disagree slightly with the the answers, to, you know, answer to the question that there, there is, there is some non zero percentage of people out there that still will overtly, uh, you know, in their mind, actively say, I'm not hiring a woman for this job. There, there is some non zero percentage there. And that that's unfortunate. I'm, I'm hoping that that continues to go to zero. Um, you know, we could probably spend a whole show talking about unconscious mm-hmm. bias, though. There's oh, yeah. that, you know, you, they'll say that they would want to hire a woman. They're not opposed to hiring a woman for the job, just want the best person for the job. But there's something that happens, you know, and in, in the unconscious that creates those those decisions. So I wouldn't put it entirely on the the, the women that are applying to these jobs and if they're not applying to the you know, mm-hmm. job. That That's definitely a problem. But I think it takes... You know, it definitely takes two to tango and there's, there's, you know, the, the, as some would say, the problem is multi, multivariate, but. um, Yeah. I mean, look, I've had male, I've had men interview me and, and outright ask me if I have plans to have babies in the next five years. Yeah. This awful. This awful. I'm like, wait, are we in the 21st century? What is happening? Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely still some bias, but you know, that's not really within our control. Like we can do things to educate people and, and all of that good stuff, but again like and we'll kind of touch on this more shortly but like that's why I get the book the book club is such a passion project for us mm-hmm. because we just want to pull people in um and we've got some pretty cool stories that we'll share with you as well but like just pull people into that shared mentality where like it's okay to be brave it's okay to make mistakes it's okay like that like-minded mentality is really important and it is so about who you surround yourself with like they there's a saying that you are the sum of the five people you're closest to um and I, I think that's you know really true and I always say I think everyone should have a Mary in their life because she's funny as hell but the the mentorship she's shown me as well and just being around people that want you to grow and want you to succeed and aren't jealous or aren't wondering well hang on if you get ahead where does that leave me it's you know I think there's all of that as well so I think it's massively about who you surround yourself with the book club that's that's a great way especially in today's new kids coming through because they want to have a reason why they're doing everything mm-hmm. and and if you can have a shared uh knowledge source a book to say hey look here are the procedures or here are the processes here's the way we want to go about things and here's the book and you read a chapter by chapter everybody gets buy-in that was my reasons for for uh, sharing books uh, back in the day. What? Why did you guys get the book club going together? What is the book club? Is it really only <laughs> females? I mean, if I want to come in and read a book, you're going to kick me out. This is so funny because we had so many discussions about this, didn't we? We were talking yeah. about the name, and I'm like, I don't want to exclude, you know, because you 
sometimes if you try to include a mono, you know, someone, you'll exclude someone else. But we didn't mean to do that. We were just kind of, you know, we kind of wanted a, a safe space that um, because of women sometimes having fear to open up and say the things that they might not normally say, we wanted to kind of create that place where they didn't worry about feeling stupid mm. or not saying the right thing. And then, you know, we have plans for it to grow from there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and what, and what is it, you know, and what, and yeah, so yeah, what, yeah, yeah. How, what is it, how did it start and, and yeah. uh, give, give us everything. So um, in, I think it was just before lockdown, um, Luce and I were chatting about, um, I don't know, some book or some nonsense. And we were saying on that call, we were like, we need to expand this. Like we need to expand some of the findings that we found valuable from this book or this course. I can't remember what it was, Lou. But um, It was a book you were reading and it was like literally on like a Sunday morning. And I remember you, you sent me a message saying another, you know, this is a book you need to get. And I was like, we really need to start like telling people we, we should mm. make a book club. And you're like, let's do a book club. And it was literally like that. But it was, I can't remember the book now, actually. We should look back. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. I can't remember our first book, but it was great. So we had like, so we got on a call that night um, and we had post-its and we were sticking stuff all over the place. We were brainstorming about what this means. And then we started thinking, like, what is this book club? What is it going to be? What is it going to be? What sort of cadence are we going to meet? How are we going to execute the meetings? We started just brainstorming the whole thing. And, and we decided that the book club is, it's not only a book club. It's, we love the word book club because it's such a, like, an inclusive, generally female-driven, like, society. And we love that. And obviously, we're obsessed with books, so that helps. But it's so much more than that. It's a network. It's a network of women who rely on one another for things from, you know, we've helped coach um, people entering the workforce for the first time, um, negotiated contracts. We've also had um, glasses of wine with very senior peers and chatted and let them confide in a safe space. And, you know, we'll share things that we found useful and share resources. And like, you know, if on our website, Luce has designed this incredible page which is like all about our favorite things we've got affiliate programs and discounts and we do all sorts of things to try and make it the kind of place that we would want to go if we wanted to learn something so there's a blog Lucy and I have both written pieces in the blog we actively encourage the community to write because everybody's story is so different and everybody's story is so valid and so important like you read different things that we've got people writing about being a mom and, and having to go back to work. We've got people writing about, um, you know, one of one of my favorite pieces is um, Louboutins to Lullabies about yeah, a girl. Who, yeah, she went from being like a very high flyer to kind of taking a step back and being a mom and then how she got back into work. And so all of these things are, you know, we've got like a future of work piece that's been written up and how to negotiate into a higher salary, which has actually worked with someone before, um, Lucy has written a great piece on imposter syndrome, which I got feedback from like the day after that email was batched out. Someone actually reached out to me and said, this literally couldn't have come through at a better time. I was working on a presentation and I was second guessing myself to Helen gone. And I read this, I looked over the presentation and then I sent it and I got great feedback. So, and that's, that's why we do it. That's why yeah. we do it because in those moments where you just need a bit of a nudge or maybe a high five, we want to be that driving force or we want to provide the community 
that gives you that driving force. Mm-hmm. And I think one of our favorite moments was when we had, I think it was only the second, obviously they're all virtual at this point because it was still locked down, but we had the meetup and we'd obviously invited people from both of our networks and everyone had like a bit at the end where they could just chat. And it turned out that someone Mary had worked with in the past and one of my closest friends that I'd lived with in London had actually done some work together. One had created um, the musical piece for an advert that the other one was promoting. So completely different industries and they hooked up and then they've worked together since. And there's been a couple of other of the women that have then gone on to work together and help each other. And that's kind of what we wanted to grow was that you wouldn't, mm. it, it's not just about what we've got to give. We, we wanted everyone to start finding the, their own Mary, their own Lucy to go to. Um, and yeah, like Mary says, we added the fun pages on there where our favorite cocktails, our favorite places to go and relax. These are our favorite shows to watch when you want, want to unwind. So it's not all, you know, about, con- we really believe in that balance as well. Um, but Mary wrote a fantastic piece about salary negotiation and the woman um, actually went in back into the, the next meeting with them and doubled the offer that they had originally given her. And fantastic. She abs- Isn't that unreal? And so, you know, Mary called me. I'm like, this is amazing. This is exactly <laughs> why we're doing this. Like, what a boost for that woman as well to know that, yes, Mary yeah. gave her those tools, but she then went in there and executed that on her own. She went That's in and said, great. no. Yeah, it was amazing. Would you say that that is your uh, proudest accomplishment with the Women in Business Book Club? Or is there uh, another specific story that you're like really proud of a success that's coming out of the Women in Business Book Club? I think, look, to be completely candid, like the first year, so 2020, it was guns blazing um, for the first sort of six to eight months. And then Lucy and I, took a step back because I was studying a pretty intense course that needed my full attention. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Lucy had just started a new job. So we kind of, we released the our foot on the gas a little bit and just focused on ourselves and getting things tightened up for the end of the year. Um, so now we're kind of coming back together or 21, sorry, not 20. Um, so now we're kind of coming back together, but I'd say there are a lot of really lovely stories that have come out of different pieces of this network um, so, and I, I think they're all incredibly important, like hearing that someone got a better offer on their new job or hearing that someone had the courage to send a presentation for the first time to their new boss, or, you know, I don't think we're looking for anything massive, but it's just like, if we can just help uh, like five or 10 people in that small way, and then they can help another five or 10 people. That's the whole point of this. It's just incremental growth that will eventually aid you know, whoever wants to go in as deep or as light as they want to within the network. If somebody wants to get into leadership, is there a, a book that you would recommend, like top of the list? Uh... So I'm a I'm a podcast girl when it comes to this. So I've got like some really good podcasts that I am obsessed with. Um, and this is not just blowing smoke, but you guys have actually been really helpful. <laughs> so <laughs> I do like this asshole. I love it, you guys. Yeah, there's some really good intel um, that comes out of these shows. And I I was saying to KG a while ago, I've listened to one of the shows. I can't remember which one it is now. Uh, I think it was um, how to start an enterprise sales team or or how to ramp an enterprise sales team. And I think I listened to it about three times and made notes. Like, So there's some really good stuff that comes out. So I love you guys. Um, And then there's... um, the Learning Leader by Ryan Hawke, which is an absolute staple of mine. 
He's amazing. He touches on loads of different topics within leadership. Um, he covers a very broad range um, of things and he has some great guests. He's just written a new book as well, which I've actually ordered, Pursuits of Excellence or something, I think. Um, and also Jim Quick. I love Jim Quick. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he's called The Brain Doctor. Um, and he, he basically had a massive head injury when he was a kid and was written off by teachers and doctors and all sorts of things. And as he got older, he found and investigated ways to learn more efficiently. Um, so he teaches people not only how to learn and grow, but how to do that more efficiently than maybe they've traditionally been taught how to do. So those are kind of some of my recommendations. Lou's got some cracking books, though. Yeah, mine are kind of the cult classics, really. I, I, I've got a couple that I love. Um, the Challenger Sale, um, mm-hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I don't really know anyone that hasn't read that. I love that. Old and it's school, such a baby. Good one to, yep. Yeah, it's just reread it over and over and over. Um, and then The Lasting Impact of Positive Leadership, um, Stan Toller. And I think all, most of these books that really run on the premise that you can't succeed particularly in sales alone, you have to build relationships with your team, with your clients, with other people in your network. And I think that's what I'd recommend those books for that kind of vibe for you to really learn about the fact that you you do need other people and you really need to build a relationship. It's like we said at the very beginning, sales isn't just about getting the money in. There is so much more finesse to it. You have to, you know, that's when the money comes because you've built and harnessed those. And people buy from people. They don't buy a product but just because it's okay it's going to tick these boxes if you've got the right person behind that they're going to buy you, that you buy from the person and then um, yeah I just think those are some cult classics to start with if you kind of just want to learn the basics of, of how you really get your teeth stuck in yeah well that's awesome I I couldn't agree with you more like just books 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 yeah. just read read and learn and podcast as much as and if you only take like one or two percent out of every podcast or book that you know that you read that actually builds up over over time and you try things and put it into put it into mm-hmm. play Pete you were gonna say Pete I, I was just gonna say there's people that read all these books but they apply nothing so nothing. apply <laughs> yeah Try. You're going to spend yeah. the time to read it, apply something. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, try, try put it in play. Yeah, 1%. Because most of this stuff is garbage. Like you'll read it and you'll be like, oh my God, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't yeah. apply or whatever. But you can take one or 2% out of every single book that you that you read and, and put something into, into play. So I love that kind of tactical guidance with books and podcasts. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's get to the heart of the matter. What do you two believe that women sh- who aspire to be in leadership do to get to their goal of being in sales leadership? That's a great question. Um, I think that, I mean, I've learned a huge amount over the years from colleagues, mentors, different firms. Um, But I would say personally for me, the last two years have been hyper growth, like absolute hyper growth. Um, I was put into a huge role Uh, I had to upskill very quickly. I had to learn very quickly. Um, And there were a lot of things that obviously helped me, but I have maybe three, three sort of core, um, core piece of advice that I would give to someone if they're looking to really ramp up their leadership skills. And I think the first thing is everyone looks externally when they think about being a leader, but I think the most important thing you can start by doing is looking internally, figure out who you are figure out and understand how you learn, 
how do you ingest information? How do you understand it? Do you understand it to a level where you can then communicate it back to a team? Like, is it, is it something that you need to work on? Is your communication problematic? Um, you know, how does your team ingest information? Um, another thing I would say is discipline. <laughs> discipline, we all hate it, but discipline leads to execution. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big thing. I think, you know, over the last couple of years where I've been given really massive tasks, truly massive tasks that I haven't really known how to approach and god bless kg he's been on the other end of the phone quite a lot for those conversations um but i think i think you've got to eat the frog right like no one wants to eat the frog but you've got to eat the frog and what i mean by that for those who are not familiar is you've got to you've got to tackle the really tough projects first um <laughs> you've got to tackle it you've got to start it if you're feeling overwhelmed just start it uh, break it up but for god's sake start um if you're not sure how to do the task source information this is why your network is so important you should by the time you're ready to step into a leadership role you should have a solid network of mentors who have your back and who are ready to help push you into that role um a mentor and a sponsor obviously two different things we won't get into that but mentors are important because they're not directly related to your success so they can give you completely unbiased advice. So you should have a really top quality circle of mentors. Um, failing that, get some. Get some and research what you need to off the internet. Um, and then the final thing I would say is, is and this is something that I, I learned at my current company because it's very much our culture there, but this was never taught to me previously, is that curiosity is a superpower. People massively underrate curiosity. I think if you if you are curious, you need to stoke the flame. You need to surround yourself with people who are like-minded. You need to kick over the rocks. You need to run down the rabbit holes, pull the thread. Because when you do discover something and finally put the pieces of the puzzle together on a really challenging product, a uh, really challenging problem, um, you'll elevate into a new level of productivity. I can guarantee you that. Um, and again, as we kind of just touched on, listen to podcasts, read books, educate yourself. If you're not progressing or if you're struggling with something, like not to sound like a ball breaker, but that's on you. There are yeah. plenty of resources available to empower you to get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, expand your periphery, explore stuff, be curious. So those are kind of three things that have served me really well. Lou, what about you? Um, quite similar, but I agree with you from looking inside first. I think emotional intelligence is so much to be said for kind of taking the time to know not just your team, but who you're selling to, who you're working with. Um, I think my dad was one of my um, business mentors. Um, he worked in the photographic press agency, so very different, but it was kind of an old school when they were like, you know, printing the it was proper printing machines on the papers and then it all went digital, but there was um he passed a couple of years ago and there was a beautiful tribute written about him and the comments as I went through them which were lovely for us as a family to read but for me from a business point of view they were from clients from 20 30 years ago they were from people that he'd taken on at 19 and you know helped them on their way through and all of them mentioned he asked me about my kids he asked me about how was your weekend he asked me how's your wife how's how's your husband what what's going on with you how are you (laughs) And I think there's so much to be said for when you're leading a team, you're not going to be able to lead each person the same way. 
Mm. Everyone ticks differently. And if you don't know what banks are, what's important to Mary might be, you know, what's not as important to you, KG. And same for you, Pete. Some people are driven mm-hmm. by money. Some people are driven by making sure they've got enough family time. You have to find out what makes everyone tick. And you have to mm-hmm. take the time with your clients to, when, when you pick up that phone to, to do a deal or, you know, book the next meeting or whatever, take five minutes just to chat about them. How are you? You know, what's going on with you? And build that relationship. Um, so I think that's super important. And I think the pandemic really highlighted this because it's so much less personal now. You're not having that face-to-face time. We, we really need to take the time to, to speak to people and, you know, have that chat. So I think that's massively important. Um, we've covered reading. I just think, honestly, shove your head in a pile of books. Just mm. find out as much as you can. It's like Mary says, you've got the information out there. There's no excuse. Um, and I think breaking it up, I think your podcast, guys, is great because I actually, the first time we started speaking about being being on the podcast, I was driving down to a friend's house, which is about three and a half hours away. <clears throat> and um, so I put, put you guys on in the car and I laughed for that entire three hours. <laughs> but it, it's like you're saying, I was taking a couple of bits here and there because I'm driving and you're not fully you know listening but mm. I was laughing I was learning and it broke up you don't feel like you're sitting there during a course where you've got to take notes and you've got to retain everything it was just a great way of you know bringing in new knowledge finding out about people and laughing and relaxing at the same time I think you've got to make sure that you're breaking it up um, don't encourage so- the dad jokes Lucy there are so many. <laughs> I did not set her up for that beat. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you're sitting there like, yeah. Um, you both addressed self-concept earlier in the show. That can be put towards the imposter syndrome. What is the imposter syndrome? So the imposter syndrome is basically kind of feeling like you're not good enough. It's kind of self-doubt, true self-doubt where you can't, you think I, can't, I absolutely can't do this. I'm a fraud. I'm going to get caught out. Um, you know, usually when you start a new role or you join a new industry, you're kind of looking at everyone else and not taking in that they might have however many years of ahead of you, or they might, you know, they also might be winging it. Um, but the imposter syndrome is really about self-doubt and just not really thinking about uh, that you're able to do something. Um, and I, I don't think that's, you know, I think it's regardless of gender. I think sometimes maybe women talk about feeling like that more. They're more honest about it um, just because that's just, you know, historically how we are. But um, I think it's for all genders and, you know, everyone will have felt it at some point in their life, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, and I just think this is kind of when, one-on-ones with your team or like taking that time to have a conversation and let someone know why they're valued you're here you've got a seat at the table for this reason this is what you're great at you know we can look at what you need to work on and how we can boost other areas but this is why you're here this is the value you hold and I think doing that to yourself as well is super important because it's so easy to only hear the negatives that you say Mary actually taught me a trick which some people might think is quite cheesy but I'm quite into it now like writing on your windows and your mirrors, like just little things that are like, yeah, you've got this fucking shit. You've got it. Like you can do this. Um, And I think, you know, it's all about that. It's just reminding yourself that, listen, that you're not going to be hired into a role if someone thinks you're not going to do it because no, no good leader is going to hire someone that they think, hang on a minute, they're not quite, you know, you're there for a reason. And I think, yeah, imposter syndrome is just self-doubt that we need to work through. What's that quote that we love so much, Lou? 
Ah, so from the former president of uh, Rolls Royce. Yeah. But you can't have a lot, you can't leave a lasting footprint if you're always walking on your tiptoes. Top quotes. It's so good. Yeah, Marion Blakely. And I think it's so good because it's so Mm. true. And if you look back, and we we can all say this, that the people that, you know, I remember the people that have asked questions and gone out there and make mistakes. Mm. And, you know, those are the people I remember that have, you know, gone further. And I just think, yeah, we really need to try and harness that energy because it's too easy to fall back. Yeah, that's one of the things about being sales leadership and dealing with salespeople is, They'll only work at a level to the degree that they'll make money that they think that they're worth. And you mm-hmm. have to show that they're worth more or they're not going to work harder for it. So, so, so great job. A, a big fan. Did KG? you ever suffer from the, uh, did you ever suffer from the imposter syndrome, by the way, Pete? Oh, I've always been an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sales leader, podcast host, <laughs> podcast editor, production. Yeah, fake it yeah. till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. There, there's a uh, there's the opposite is the Dunning Kruger effect. If anybody mm. is familiar with that, and I am I'm not. not, I'm I'm, I'm not. no I'm no scientist. Go look it up. But there's there's great videos on this. Basically, people that are underperformers or unintelligent individuals believe they're smarter or better performing than they actually are. So it's it's somewhat. I'm not a professional. I'm totally just winging it here. But it's like it's almost the opposite mm-hmm. of the imposter yeah. syndrome where high performers always think, God, somebody's going to find out that I'm actually not that good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, a, and I agree with you, Lucy, it's, it's everybody can suffer from that imposter, mm-hmm. you know, imposter syndrome. Um, but you have to just keep moving forward, just keep, keep yeah. moving, moving forward for, uh, you know, for sure. So I loved the story that you talked about earlier, both of you, where you, you, um, provided a, a blog post on how to negotiate for a, a higher salary, and somebody in the Women in Business Book Club took that to heart and uh, and affected their their lives. That's fantastic. What do you recommend for women specifically? So, what was in that blog post? What what should women do if they want to get raises and and ask for uh, for higher comp? Again, like kind of touching on the fact that I think a lot of women, especially the women I've come across, they, they, they very, they battle to ask for what they want. And self-worth is, is definitely an issue that everyone in leadership should be fighting with their team, regardless of gender. Um, we fight that constantly in the book club as well. But I think women are sort of intrinsically designed as people pleasers, right? Which of course hinders that direct approach, that sort of assertive nature. Um, and we just have to evolve past this mentality. Like we need to evolve. We need to get over that and start being more vocal about what we need and what we believe we're worth. That's not to say, however, that um, you should walk into your boss's office and say, I deserve a 10% raise. Like you need to have some sense behind it, right? Like there needs to be a business case. You need to show why you deserve more, what value you're bringing. That's incremental to what you're being paid to do. So I think there's, there's definitely a fine line between how you approach it and how you execute on it. Um, but the definitely touch on, read the blog post if you have a chance, because there are different tactics regarding if you're an existing employee or if you're new going into a company. But I would say definitely do your homework, do market research. If you're looking at the moments to move jobs, like it is a great time for you. People are throwing money around. So make sure that you are you have some fact behind what you're asking for. Have a business case. 
be prepared to answer why you add value to that company um, or why you think that you deserve more when you've made an initial offer. Um, but just, again, just ask what you want, right? Like, um, don't ask, don't get. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I, again, I've been on both sides as an employee, as an employee and a manager having those conversations. Um, but read the blog. It's, I, I think it's pretty informative, but, you know, I wrote it, so I'll be biased. But The title of the blog post again, specifically? Yeah, how to ask for. Um, how to negotiate your way negotiate. into a higher salary. That's what it's called. How to negotiate your way into higher salary. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Do you, I, I honestly, I just want to say your male counterparts don't even think that way though. And I, and that it freaking sucks. You know, mm-hmm. I've had many of the male counterparts though, go come into a meeting with their hand out and say, can I be a manager? Just with their yeah. hand. Out. And they're not going to put a business case together. They're not going to do all those things. And, and I, you know, I feel so torn about this. I, your blog post is fantastic. Yet, yet I, your the male counterparts don't have to put forth mm. as many efforts yet, uh, yeah. you know, for this and that it, uh, you know, it sucks, but you're, you're absolutely right. You'd be, be prepared. And Lucy, amen. Pete, Pete was jumping out of his chair. You don't ask. <laughs> if you don't ask, you don't get. Okay. Yep. Number absolutely. one rule in sales. Yeah. Mary and Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you for having us. It's been awesome. What's the best way for listeners to learn more about you guys or connect? So head off to the website, www.womeninbusinessbookclub.com. And everything is on there. Mary's blog, the other blogs, um, links to everything else to join the network. You'll just find everything on there. Um, We've got a Facebook page, Instagram as well. LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn. Mary loves LinkedIn. (laughs) She loves it. Um, but yeah, so to head to the website, links to all the social channels and everything's on there and all the other fun stuff that we love as well as there. So we'd love to welcome anyone. And it isn't just women. We, you know, anyone that wants to get involved. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Message us, Pete. We'll, teach, we'll, we'll show you how to get a higher salary. And then but also we were saying we'd love some blogs from, from guys that have helped women and are advocates yeah. for women. So just to have, you know, it from the other point of view. So yeah, it's for everyone right. anyway. Well, we'll have all the links in the podcast notes. Uh, ladies, fantastic show. Thanks for listening thanks. to Sassholes. On behalf of Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we ask that you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter in the podcast notes. And you can always buy us a beer on Patreon slash Sassholes. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. <laughs>